right. Welcome. Welcome to Know Your Roles. Hey, guys. We're back. I'm Dave. That was so weird. <laughs> George. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> it's cool. It's. I always feel like we never, like, uh, these intros, we're just kind of talking. I, I feel like I set you up there. To, like I, I built in a pause and you felt like you had to say something. <laughs> no, I was just like, uh, I, I, I feel like I, it's like it's improv. I want to do it different every time. Like I'm fucking Belushi and shit. It's got to be weirder. <laughs> So it, it, as I think over the, over the weeks, my voice will get higher and just be like, "Hey guys!" and just like, <laughs> and then I'll just then I'll just faint because I can't really maintain that pace. Anyway, welcome back to Know Your Rolls. We're super excited about this week's episode. Lots lots of fun that we we have in store for you guys. Uh, we have Blake Schwarzenbach, uh, the lead singer of Jawbreaker, who came and stopped by, and we had fun with him, and it's a good time. Dave. What is in your bar? For my bar today, what I'm going to do is uh, a friend of mine sent me this book. I don't think I've show, shown you the shout out to Jeff in Seattle. Uh, he got it at Goodwill. It's called Hot Dog Chicago. And it's from, it was published in uh, 1983. And it's a native's dining guide. And it's just all of the, the hot dog places in Chicago and reviews of them. So I'm just going to like do a random page and read one and hope that that's funny and entertaining. Can you do like a random two pages and read them? Because uh, Sure. Well, let's start with one and then and then we'll go from there. This is this is the bar talk that I fucking need in my life is hot dog places in Chicago. I really like just didn't want to talk about how much of a terrible place this is and all the terrible things that go on. So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about hot dogs. We're going to read a hot dog review. So I'm going to go. George, you tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay. All right. This has got a great name. These, first of all, these places with their names. All right. This is a review for Z- Zippy's Up. <laughs> it's Z-I-P-I-Z-U-P. Just for the record, this is book is written in the 80s. Like most of these places are gone. <laughs> but for, there are some that are still there. But anyway, I believe this place is gone. It's like that scene in the wire. Can you get that dog now? Yeah. Can you get it now? Can you get it now? <laughs> <laughs> um, Zippy's Up. It's the intersection of Racine, Lincoln, and Diversity Parkway. Actually, that's like not far from where I grew up. Sleekly decorated with track lighting, exposed brick, ceramic tile, and bay windows. There can be no mistake. This is a fast food a la Newtown. I that's I guess that's in reference to like gentrification, Newtown. Like, that's weird. Uh, an extensive menu with choices galore. You might try a Polish, a hot dog, or Italian sausage. We enjoyed a one-third pound burger. Is there a fly in here or what? I don't know what. This review is written by someone who doesn't understand the English language. (laughs) Uh, The burger, of good enough quality to be ordered rare, came on a big puffy sesame seed bun with garden of everything, which turned out to be lots of fresh tomato, onion, and pickle. Good vibes? What? Like, who the fuck wrote this review? Uh, An unusual entry was the chicken wings. Perfectly crispy but moist. Bathed with a light tangy hot sauce, celery sticks and blue cheese dressing and fries served on the side. And what fries they are, these Z-Spud fries. What the fuck? They are spiral cut on a long machine that turns out a fry that can be feet long. The process demands the use of Idaho number one bakers, the finest potatoes money can buy. Very friendly service from the spotless and spacious kitchen behind large glass panels. Zippy's up is just groovy even if there is a small hang-up at the end of the alphabet there. Okay? This is very bizarre. Yeah, I don't think that that place is still there. And I also think it's very funny that this place 
this review, this is a hot dog review. And this, this reviewer didn't talk about the hot dogs. <laughs> George, should I do another one? Do another, yeah. All right. I'll just read this one straight through. Mama Tish, 2547 West Fullerton. Again, I don't think this place is there. The place is nondescript except for a large illustrated sign out front that announces that this is the home of Chicago's first round submarine. Okay. The round submarine is apparently a concept that has had its day since Mama Tish now serves only elongated submarines. <laughs> the rest of the menu runs mainly to brand name Exotica, most of it charcoal grilled. You can get a Vienna, Texas smoky hot dog, a gyros bob, which is how we say it here in New York, but in Chicago they say gyro, gyros bob, or a Duke of Rib boneless pork sandwich. You can also get plenty sick on too much of this stuff. <laughs> Maybe just stay with a Mama Tish brand Italian ice and lemon, coconut, or watermelon. This is just one of the city's 2,500 hot dog stands. <laughs> what? Like, this is a review? All right. So there you have it. Hot Dog Chicago, a Natives Dining Guide, published in 1983. That's uh, that's my bar for today. Again, thank you to uh, Jeff out there in Seattle for... Uh, what a thoughtful gift. <laughs> George, what's uh, what's on your bar? Uh, so I'm going to talk uh, uh, quickly about the the NHL starts back today, which is super exciting. I had my hockey, NHL hockey draft last night. Um, uh, and apparently in the Zoom call that was that I was not able to be a part of because it would be at work, that I had the draft of the evening, uh, which, which is kind of cool because I had a war room. had a warm room at work, brought my laptop up there, and I had a friend come up there, and we just – we went over the picks back and forth. Shout out to Missy for coming in to help me out with the with the picks in, in the the DW hockey draft war room. And there's uh, NBC is nice enough to have three games. One game starts in an hour. So, so shout out to like uh, the NHL going to is going to make a run at it. And uh, I'm excited about that. So that's in my bar. Looking forward to uh, Flyers and Flyers and Penguins start at five thirty. Of course, it's going to be two days later. But as of right now, I'm excited about three hockey games starting. Starting at five thirty, so long live the NHL. Super excited about that. Sports. All right. Well, that's bar talk, and yeah. So we're going to be talking to Blake Schwarzenbach, singer, songwriter, guitarist, one-time colleague of George's, video, one-time video game reviewer, and uh, you may know him as the lead man for a band called Jawbreaker. <laughs> In addition to other bands and and acts and that's that's a i we had a really good time talking to him about all sorts of things and then we play our little game where we uh build a uh, a three-piece punk rock band out of video game characters so yeah we uh we got deep into it so i think that'll be uh be fun for everybody so here that is enjoy i know you asshole did you just call me Coltrane? <laughs> he's like, you, he's like, what does it say? He's like, yeah. It's talking about jive. It was like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny because, like, um, you're either on that, that corner or you're not. It's not like, I think he's okay. Wes Anderson. And I think, uh, I think there's some of his movies I think are bottle rocket fucking legit cracks me up. I agree. I'm on, I'm on the corner. On the run from Johnny Law. Ain't no trip to Cleveland. And Bob, you're the zero in the car. Um, yeah, Bottle Rocket. I, I actually like Bottle Rocket over like Rushmore. And people are like, what? You crazy? 
Yeah, Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket is fucking hilarious. And it's short. <laughs> For a, Yeah, I agree. For a long time, I was saying it was like his best film or like my favorite of his films. Can you guys hear me now? Sure can. Yes. Can you hear us? Yes, I can. Perfect. <laughs> you're coming in loud and clear. Sorry about that. No, that's, uh, I don't think it's either of our fault. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I think it's big tech, you know? <laughs> I, I agree. Let's just blame them for everything. Well, well, welcome. Hey, thanks. Yeah, no, we, uh, <laughs> it's funny. Like we were, it wasn't, you and I were talking like probably like two or three years ago about podcasts and podcasting. And I was like, Blake, you got to start a, you got to start a podcast. And I think I remember exactly what you said. It was like, what the fuck? This is like, nobody wants to hear me talk. It's like, a, it's like there's, only, there's always so many podcasts out there and so many topics. So how do you feel about them now? I feel that, but more so. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, nobody want, like, nobody needs us to be talking either. <laughs> but we are. No, <laughs> Everyone... I mean, it's just more male expertise, you know? Well, we totally need more of that, especially for me. A white, we made more white male expertise. Right. Well, what happened was, was like three years later, I was like, I was doing nothing. COVID happened, and I was like, I think I need to do something creative. So, uh, I guess my what I want to ask is like, what have you been doing during all of this? Because I see you from time to time, but like, we haven't really got to, to chop it up. So, what have you been doing during since like I guess since March and since the worldwide pandemic? Well, George, if you've if you've seen me at all, you know that I've been working out every morning. <laughs> I, I'm laughing. I think that's a joke, right? No, no, it's not a joke. I fucking I go for it, man. I am like on the floor doing prison style workouts from like five till seven in the morning, <laughs> just getting jacked for this this uh, coming war. I mean, it sounds sounds like a pretty good use of your time. The, these guys are fucking militias, dude. I'm like. I'm gearing up. Right on. <laughs> I'm I'm riding with the North. Let's just put it that yeah, way. Yeah, I think uh yeah, we're we're on the same team here. <laughs> I figured. No, I so I do I actually exercise like crazy because it um it just alleviates my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I live in my head and that's just no good for me or any of my relatives. <laughs> <laughs> uh but I what what else? I'm I've been learning German. Um oh whoa. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a language I've always loved and I just love, I've been to Germany so many times touring that, um, it took me a while. You know, there's definitely a, a kind of cultural curve where Americans historically feel really judged when they go there. And I've managed to kind of evolve from feeling judged to accepting my ignorance and then really making friendships there. And kind of, I came to love the language. Really? Also, People historically, American provincials think that German is an ugly language, but it's it's actually such a beautiful kind of poetic language. It seems difficult to me, even though it's, you know, English is a Germanic language. Are, is it super difficult? I'd say it's a little, it's more challenging than Spanish, um, just to get the feel. Also, I grew up in LA, so Spanish, you know, is very comfortable for me. Um, so it, it does feel a little farther away and there are definitely a lot of quirky bits to it, but I think once you, you just have to immerse, I'm not saying I'm any good, like I'm far from it, but when I go there, if I've been there for like, after a week, I start to be able to kind of at least buy groceries and things like that without too much 
discomfort. <laughs> so you know enough to be dangerous, then. Dangerous <laughs> to who? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just like being able to buy groceries, I think is like, just like, hey, it's like I, I know how to feed myself, which I think is like the, the, the danger that I'm willing to get into is like I know how to eat. It's important. Yeah. It, it, it makes sense, though. Like, that's kind of how I feel about, like, Spanish as far as, like, when you're in a Spanish-speaking country or you're speaking Spanish myself uh, as a, you know, native English speaker, um, you get used to it. You know, after like a week or so, you kind of get the, and it's interesting to hear you say that about Germany, because in my head, it seems like so, so difficult and, and complex. But, you know, I guess it's one of those things that's, it's a practiced, it's a practiced thing and you can practice it. Yeah. And I think humans, um, you know, are fairly resilient. Like we kind of acclimate in emergencies when we're, uh, you know, if you're thrown into a, another language, you, when you get hungry, you adapt pretty quickly. Or, you know, for me, it's coffee or like tobacco, my, my yeah. primal urges. Like I have to figure out how to acquire cigarettes and <laughs> coffee immediately. And then I start learning whatever, if it's Japan or if it's, you know, Australia, just kidding, you know, like, I whatever it is, I'll figure it out. Light, lighter was a big one for me. I had to learn how to say lighter in all different countries. Right. At what point do you, are you, do you want to get to that you're able to maybe even write songs or just write stories in German? Oh, I mean, I would love to, you know, it, it actually began for me in romantic studies because I did a, I did my graduate degree in romantic literature. And so much of my work was in philosophy, kind of a enlightenment philosophy. And a lot of it came from Germany and they have these terms, which I'm sure, you know, just from, uh, schadenfreude, um, onwards like the, they have these incredibly complex single words that describe entire emotional states of being so i'd have to look up i'd be reading these footnotes for certain terms and just i was fascinated that like one word could describe you know hoping that your lover's husband should die in a boat accident <laughs> like or whatever it might be you know like incredibly specific yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, that you know, Abendfeuer. <laughs> yeah, I can see the uh, the draw. What uh, have you been doing? Uh, any music stuff during this this period? I'm learning. Okay, so I'm learning rockabilly guitar because it's an early love of mine, and it's something I, I'm a really untrained guitar player. I mean, I'm self taught, and um, and I've just been always like growing up with social distortion, you know, the clash and, um, stray cats who I loved in high school. I was really in a rockabilly in high school. And, uh, but I never knew how to play that, those style of kind of like, um, leads, you know, and it's kind of the basis for like every Southern California punk rock guitar solo, <laughs> like bad religion. You pick it. They all do that. Mm -hmm. Like, that kind of corny fifties lead, you know? Yeah. I was going to say like, were you just saying that? Like I was thinking of like Chuck Berry and stuff like that. And like, that's absolutely. It's where it starts, right? Yeah. He's the fucking best man. Chuck Berry. Um, Elvis's guitar player. Sure. Uh, you know, like on mystery train and the, um, Scotty Moore, that guy, God, incredible. 
but I think Chuck Berry is the rawest, like, uh, just, just crazy. And I love that Chuck Berry also like, he'll just stop in the middle of a lead and there's these like really gnarly kind of hiccups that I don't know if he's just plotting his next move or it's just, I don't know, but they're really like, they're really garage sounding, like just filthy. <laughs> so anyway, I've, I, I've just been looking at YouTube videos and, you know, I'm playing along and like getting my, my technique down on the, the high three strings. Cause that's not an area I, I venture into that often. I'm definitely like, a, I, well, I'm a bass guitar player. Like I really favor the kind of low heavy end. Um, and it also hurts your fingers to play on those higher strings. It's just like razor wire. So I'm kind of, I'm trying to like shred a little bit up, up top. I love the fact that you're learning from, or just learning how to do these things from YouTube clips. There's a very, very amusing YouTube clip. And I wonder if you came across it, Chuck Berry playing Memphis, Tennessee with, uh, with Lennon and <laughs> Yoko Ono. Oh, uh, no. Uh, you should check it out because it was like, Yoko makes like a sound and it cuts to Chuck Berry's face. And he was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> like a sort of screeching right. sound. And they're playing Memphis, Tennessee. And it's like, he just sort of like, what? Well, I, I, don't, I don't remember that in rehearsal. <laughs> so if you get a chance, check that out. It's, it's wildly entertaining. I will, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to track down his autobiography, um, Chuck Berry by Chuck Berry. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, I, I think it's kind of an Alibris find. It's not in print. Uh, at the moment but it's supposed to be a great like self-telling so i guess when all of this started back in the the pandemic were you guys uh were you and adam and chris like uh collaborating in some sort of way or working on something and then just like, we were okay yeah we were actually in olympia uh when it when it broke and um that's where chris bauermeister a bass player lives he and his wife live there so uh, Adam and I had gone out and we're staying at a uh, travel lodge and we were rehearsing at a friend's studio in Olympia and um, just doing like a 10 day go in a basement and see what happens kind of thing. And um, right at the, towards the tail end of that, the first cases were kind of coming out and interestingly in uh, Washington, like at, at um, you know, senior care facilities yes. seattle right wasn't one, one of the first yeah i think it was kirkland or like those suburbs around seattle and uh, so the flight that i got back to new york was one of the last flights actually before they started i think the first kind of lockdown um i felt pretty lucky to get back and not to have contracted it along the way but they yeah, it started immediately after yeah. that and just kind of put our whole operation on on hiatus in terms of actually, you know, playing together in a room. But were you guys were pre-pandemic? You guys were uh, touring, right? You guys had come back and and started to tour again. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we were going to start another tour uh, this past summer. So we would have been out a lot. Actually, we had some pretty big plans for the U.S. Does all that come to like a complete screeching halt, or like is there? Talk, you know, do you guys talk about, you know, when you will be able to do this or, or what happens when, you know, what's happened over, with that over the last few months, anything, or you just kind of like table it and we'll come back to it. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I think like every field or 
pursuit, you know, it's, there's never been anything like this in our lifetimes. So the whole music world had to figure out how to deal with it. And, um, we have, we have a manager who's really good and is very smart about kind of booking and, and knows how these things, he's at the forward edge, I would say, of how this is happening. And his plan was basically just to pick it up and move it one year. First start, started with six months back, and then it became very clear that that wasn't going to work. So we've tried to kind of hold the days because everyone is going to go on tour when this lifts. And it's already like, it's really hard to get a room even you know, when there's not a pandemic, like people book a year in advance now, it's just, it's a weird world. It, yeah. You know, it's funny because me and my fiance, Hillary, who, who, you know, we, we, you know, we've been engaged for a year and we were slow playing it to begin with, but like we hadn't put any deposits down, um, on anything, you know, before the pandemic hit luckily. And that, but like, yeah, it's going to be people are booking shit like years in advance now. You know what I mean? Like, because, because exactly what you said, when this lifts, like everyone and their mother is going to like go and do what they were going to do, you know? So it might be smart to, Hey, maybe we'll wait a, a couple weeks, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's going to be a very interesting world. You know, I, I want to have sex <laughs> in 2021. That's like my, that's my, <laughs> that's my goal. I think someone is going to be up for it. Fingers, fingers crossed. I hope someone, I think someone. <laughs> I mean, I just want this like free love explosion to happen, you know, like spring in New York, but just amplified. I think uh, from what from what I've been reading is it like it's like when it comes back to, to some sort of normalcy, it's going to look like the Roaring Twenties, which sounds like an awesome time to be alive. So it's like fingers crossed for when that happens. Um, uh, Blake, I got a question for you. So like, I got to see you guys a couple times. I think twice at Brooklyn Steel when you guys got to play uh one of my favorite things about going to those shows was one was was of course seeing you and the other thing was like you said um you said something on stage just like um i'm on, on stage here playing with two of the finest musicians i've ever got to play with which i thought was pretty awesome to say what do you like with, about playing with adam and chris uh i mean i learned music with them so you know there's something really like deeply historical about our relationship just our our development um adam and i went to high school together so it's like mm -hmm. it's even deeper and, and chris has kind of had the misfortune of having to like join this this duo already in process um coming from a very different background like you know adam and i are from la and and um kind of a not Chris is from Connecticut. Chris is from Connecticut. Chris is like very button button down academic, um, incredibly imaginative, like wild person. But, but like there was a clash when we met that was pretty harsh of like, he just thought we were ridiculous you know? <laughs> <laughs> and we were kind of fuss and we were jerks where I, I've grown up in jawbreaker more than in any band especially since it's reformation, like I've had, you know, we've all had to really kind of come to understand each other better and like know where our buttons are and what, what to step on, what to not step on. And uh, so I kind of, I don't know, I just grew up playing music with those guys. And I, so I know kind of where they're going to go or we can kind of lead one another um, in directions that I find really exciting. Like when we got back into it, I was, 
just getting that that feeling again which is it, it's it's nostalgic in a way like it's very much tied to kind of developmental periods in my life and i know for them too like when we first started rehearsing for riot fest it, the first few days were were like really deep emotionally because we were playing all these songs we were rehearsing in san francisco and these were songs that were written in san francisco in the, in the early 90s you know that were kind of about our lives there and here we were like 20 years on um playing them and kind of singing these stories and i we used to just have to go home independently and go to sleep like after we would rehearse just to kind of like unload that emotional package <laughs> and then it be, you know it became fun later on but at first it was just it was intense that's interesting you kind of just i was going to ask you like what your approach is to you know even your mental approach to to unpacking some of these songs that you wrote so long ago I, you know you kind of answered that a little bit in what you just said i feel like the second i'm done with something i never want to see it again you know and uh so like putting yourself back in that position like what was your your approach to that do you do you lean into the to the nostalgia um that's an interesting question. I, I think we were, we were really scared. I mean, let me put it that way because we were, we'd agreed to headline this festival, which was going to be huge, especially for a band that hasn't played in 15 or 20 years or whatever. So they like the, you know, there was that kind of fear and adrenaline of like, we got to do this well, um, because we don't want to fall on our faces in front of all our friends and our fans. And, you know, people are kind of counting on us to at least put in a good show. <laughs> But I found once we got back in a room and, and you know turned up, it things kind of fell into place. And um, those songs come back. There's there is a lot of muscle memory, and I think kind of emotional memory that that clicks back in. And the songs that we chose to play, I think, are pretty sturdy in that they they still carry the kind of messages and and uh, feelings that they had with them originally. So like, yeah, I had to let go. I definitely had to like, as you say, lean in and like really, really sing parts and, and also remember a little bit how I sing in Jawbreaker because it's slightly different than I sing in my other bands that I've had since. I've, I've kind of, I had to remember that voice a little bit. Do you have to remember how you felt when you wrote the stuff or does that just like come back to you or do you even need that? It just lives in the past. Uh, it comes back. I think it comes back and it's, it's, you know, if you're doing it adequately, it, it usually kind of becomes present. Um, certainly with a crowd, like with an audience kind of getting into it and coming and going along with it, it becomes more powerful. So sometimes I, we definitely feed on an audience. Like we're a band that needs an audience and I don't think you'll see us doing any zoom shows in the next yeah. few months. Well, it's like one thing, there are some things that it's great to adapt them and do them in a new way, but there's some things that it's just like, Hey, maybe we right. should just wait to do this. You know, until not in a global fucking yeah. pandemic. Absolutely. And you know, we're, I mean, uh, I should say we're fortunate because we played a lot in the, in the last couple of years and we, we all live pretty modestly, but we made enough to kind of survive during this time. So we have that luxury, uh, but I don't want to push, anything you know i don't want to hurry anything up i'm 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 not i'm an anti-capitalist at heart and like 
this whole let's open the doors on the schools and get business going, I, I think that's fucking you bullshit. Reaching to the choir here. I know people got to eat and all that. Yeah, but, but that's all bullshit. Yeah, like what is the fucking rush? Yeah, I, I feel the, I feel the same way about stand up. I'm just sort of like, no, no, no. That seems weird. Yeah, that's that that. But that argument of like, yeah, people do got to eat. That's why the fucking government that we elected should be taking care of us. You know. Sure, they can't eat if they're dead. You know. Yeah, like yeah, it's like we need to open the schools. It's like, well, are you paying for that? Like, are you paying for them to be done safely? No. So, shut up. <laughs> Um, but anyway, <laughs> let's not get too off on that. Sure. <laughs> That's not what this podcast is. Um, but how did you guys? Uh, how did you guys come up with that? That like the so you said the songs that you are choosing to play again, you're are very focused, or or at least like you you held them to a certain standard. Did you guys just like go around, you know, just being like I I would like to play this, or I would? How did that? How did the, those set lists come about? That's exactly right. I mean, we each came up with a list. And then we kind of conferred about what was expected. Um, you know, there were some that were just like, we shouldn't have, we didn't have to think about. We're like, people, if you're coming to see Jawbreaker, what do you want to see? And so we kind of put the hits, for lack of a better, we don't really have hits, but the hits were with the people. And then we had to see what we could play, like what I could sing and what, what I could remember. Some of the earlier or mid period Jawbreaker stuff is so weird on guitar that. I, it was hard to figure out some of that stuff. Like it's so idiosyncratic and the bass and the guitar are so closely kind of meshed in recording. So we just did that and it became pretty clear like what 15 of the kind of essential songs were. And then we try to get that up to around 20 just to be, you know, you need a little safety for the, uh, the encore. <laughs> if they want you back. So uh, Dave and I have uh, got the, watch uh don't break down and um i've actually that was actually my second and third time watching this it's, it's a fascinating documentary is it was it weird to watch because i'm sure you've seen it tons of times was it weird to watch those those the shows and all that stuff from that early period like 30 years later yes <laughs> i mean it was weirder because the filmmakers were so inclusive with us they they felt like it was a group project mm -hmm. And, um, which was really generous and, and also really daunting. Like I didn't, I didn't want to look at anything, uh, because I, I get kind of, um, vertigo when I go into like archival footage and stuff. And whereas Adam is like a deep archivist and he, I mean, he provided a lot of the material for that film. He has multi-format tapes, um, you know, VHS, quarter inch, whatever, everything, cassette, micro cassette. Um, so he gave them a lot of the kind of the, the footage that they ended up using. And um, I asked to be as little a part of it as I could till the very end. And then it became like, it, I had to look at things as they were doing final edits. And um, interestingly, actually, uh, Dan Didier from The Promise Ring, the drummer of The Promise Ring, is the editor of that film. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and he and I go back because Jets to Brazil and, and Promise Ring toured a lot together and are, are good friends. So, like, it was actually really great to have him kind of visualizing the project as an editor and a band person who knew, I think, what, you know, he had really good instincts. And um, 
I just found it helpful in the in the last phases of that production to be working with him. I don't know. I'm not sure I answered the question, but I I think you did. I think I yeah, did. you got there. I mean, like I was wondering <laughs> because, like, I as a performer watching myself perform is is cringy, and I wanted to know was like, did you feel the same way watching yourself, especially from footage from like the San Francisco shows in which you're young? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was impressed with how obnoxious I was. <laughs> like, and I, t- I do take it seriously now. Like, I was a really angry, conflicted person. You know? I mean, I, I see that now. I can see how people thought I was an asshole who didn't know me. The kind of veneer of, like, sarcasm and abrasiveness um, that I, I now see. And, and um I think it was entirely defensive and like, I'm not cut out to be a mass entertainer. So like reflexively, I was just, you know, rabid when I would go on stage because I was so afraid of getting mocked. Hmm. <laughs> and, I'll, you know, I mean, that was the beauty of Jawbreaker and especially early Jawbreakers was it was just such a torrent of sound that we were completely immersed in it. And you can get lost in that kind of din. It's documented in the movie. It's like you guys breaking up, and we're not going to get into that because that's not really a part why we're here. I do want to know what, at what point in before Riot Fest did you know it was time to get back together? Well, we we had done. Um, we actually had a rehearsal a couple of years before out here. Um, Chris and Adam came out just to see what it would be like to plug in together, and uh, it was after those, those interviews in the film where we're in a studio. And I was going through like a manic episode at the time. So it was really interesting. Like we, I thought we sounded great because <laughs> I was manic and I was like, I could do no wrong. <laughs> and I think we actually all agreed that it did. We played together really well, but I think they were a little wary of like, what, where is Blake at? Like psychologically at this point, mm-hmm. I was kind of in a mode of like, say yes to everything. Um, no problem. Yeah, let's do it. So everything got kind of paused while I went through a lot of personal upheaval. And uh, I think that, you know, Adam's the driver in this band. Like he's the kind of heart and soul of it. And he really puts his back into it. And he just came up a couple years later. He, he has always was fielding offers for reunions because that's, that was such a big kind of market. Um, Sure. I don't know. And Jawbreaker is a band that people really, you know, have feelings for and wanted to see come back. So those festivals would call him pretty frequently and and put these kind of, to me, to all of us, pretty outrageous offers together for us. And I kept having to say no because I was just not in a place where I could do it. And finally, Riot Fest came through and I was kind of newly uh, sober and everyone was in a I, Chris was in a better place. We'd all kind of done our work on ourselves and mm-hmm. we had a, you know, a year to plan it. And it was like, should we, should we commit to this? And like, to, it was really helpful for me because it just gave me a focus and like a future kind of anchor. Um, so that was it. I mean, it was just like a slightly planetary alignment thing, um, period of our lives. And Riot Fest is just such a great organization. Like we played it twice now. And I, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I kind of owe them something for we do as a band for really like helping 
resurrect us in a way. But I, I say that also because they just kind of understand where we come from. And like they're, you know, if you look at their curation or whatever, their their lineups are insanely good. And um, it's kind of the world we come from. So it felt really good to go into that environment as the first big step out. Yeah, no, that's incredible. I think that's where the replacements actually got together was was at Riot Fest. So I feel like it's a festival that's geared towards like you guys as, as musicians. In my life, I have come across not one, not two, but handfuls of people with jawbreaker tattoos. When did you realize that you guys had such a devoted following of fans? Uh, you know, it was a long time after we broke up. <laughs> <laughs> or not, not a long time, but I certainly found that out in Jets to Brazil the hard way. Mm -hmm. You know, like there was a lot of kind of rejection of that band based on the kind of cult of Jawbreaker. Which, which really was because they had expectations. People had expectations. Yeah, and it was like the the cult was kind of taking off after the band. And when I was when we were all starting new projects, so it was interesting. Like we'd been battling for acceptance as a band. Then when we gave up the ghost, everyone wanted that band back, and we had all moved on. And. uh you know, but it was probably in the late '90s when it really started to become ascendant. Like that, Jawbreaker kind of became um, canonized in a way for a certain, for a newer generation, which was really, I thought, really wonderful. Um, just because it's nice to be thought of, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but but I think yeah yeah a lot of people who weren't there, you know, who were kids or like heard about it from um my chemical romance or like other bands that were that liked our band and kind of referred their fans to it so, so we were we were kind of brought it brought along through newer newer groups do you harbor you know do you have like any resentment for not you know the new fans after the fact that's one thing but like you know in the movie they have people that are like Dear You is the point, you know, your your major studio album is the point where I stopped and it was a different band and it's not what I, you know, had expected or whatever. And then you have the same exact people like five year, years later being like, actually, that's a phenomenal record. You know what I mean? Like, is there anything in that you hear that and you're like, man, if you guys were just like, would have been down with us, would have like watched us grow and been happy for us instead of like having some kind of ownership, you know? Yeah. I think we all went through that somewhere along the way. Um, but I mean, I don't feel that way now. You know, I'm glad they uh, ended up liking the record. And I, and I understand it's like, it, that is a challenging record. It's, it is a huge departure from the, the one before it. And it's not a fun record necessarily. Um, and so I'm kind of proud of that, you know, that it's like we took a step artistically or, yeah, I think developed as like songwriters and musicians. And we, we did that with every record. I mean, I don't think Bivouac sounds nothing like Unfun or like 24-Hour Revenge Therapy. So each record is, is a pretty weird evolution. Um, I knew we were going to get tagged for it going in. We kind of knew that. I, we didn't quite expect the the initial blowback that we got. But at the end of the day, I was also like, I honestly, I respected those people's opinions. Like punk isn't for everybody. And you know, maybe your favorite band isn't for like, we didn't do well on MTV. 
there, there were no one was interested in this scrappy little band. So like we we didn't make that jump. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there wasn't a world waiting to embrace us. Really, it was, and I uh, and I understand that kind of being territorial about your your personal things. There is one of the things that like I've always found fascinating about the the '90s and just like how people feel about their 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 artists and their musicians. There's like there's always this thought of like selling out. And for some reason in the '80s it wasn't really that big a deal. And in the, the 2000s, a decade after that, it wasn't that big a deal. Why do you think that that me, us people were so obsessed with the the idea of selling out or making it to the next thing or being the next big thing? Why do you think we were so obsessed with that in that era? Because, it, like I said, it wasn't that big a deal in the other other decades. Yeah. I, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think they're both uh, 80s and 2000s are real reactionary decades culturally. And so you have a kind of, um, I don't know, pro-business, you know, <laughs> like selling, you can't sell out. You just want to make it. And certainly in the 80s, when I was in high school, like Reagan era Los Angeles was just disgusting, you know, mm -hmm. like the venality of my classmates in high school, guys who wore, you know, like flip pop collar polos and like all wanted to be mbas yes and we're just and vicious like really vicious this kind of like new republican vibe of like gleefully wicked is less than zero yeah it's a movie less than zero yeah and i felt yeah. that in the 2000 to like the williamsburg indie scene in the 2000s that felt equally vicious and like totally disassociated just like the level of, of irony and detachment was so profound when I'd go to the rare times I went to like parties over there or even shows. I just got this really bad feeling from those people. Like they were fucking rich and scary people. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it's the truth. It's the truth. Cause that's right when I moved to New York and I was like, what is this place? Yeah. It was not, um, I don't know, man. It was like a weird rehearsal for celebrity or something. Yeah. When I go, I felt like every club I went to over there was like some happening in, in a really like kind of ephemeral way. Just like one night only laptop trust fund. <laughs> it's like everyone's wearing a sign that says, look at me. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. I know. It was just, I just, it was hard to find the music at that point. That's, that's what I felt like. Uh, so I don't know, in the 90s, like there was this taste of kind of like we built something that's ours. Really, when American music, kind of underground music got off the ground, um, as it had like in the late 80s, you know, I think that a palpable underground had been built up and was like starting to surface. And I that's why I'm sympathetic to people who were like against selling out because you wanted to protect this sacred kind of thing, you know, these these groups, these great labels, you know, Discord, SST, like real quality, touch and go, like quality product and, and artists. Um, so I, I just think it was this kind of wonderful moment, actually, when people were re really believed in, in integrity and in, you know, <laughs> and like having the means of production to ourselves and keeping them. Well, and that's interesting. And that, that like DIY you know, attitude that bands like you guys came from in that, in that period. Um, has that, is that something that you've seen 
has gone away or is something that like that, that energy, um, does that still, you know, because from, from that era, like it was like, you're going to build a successful following on your tours and you're going to, and, or you're going to sell a lot of records. And now there's like a lot of different ways to like sustain yourself as a band and to even, and to even build a following. So is there, have you noticed like the shift of that? Like, or is it just, it's just happened or, you know, with the technology, is that something that you've experienced as a musician? Uh, what I've seen it is touring is still, I mean, you have to be able to, to be a live band or you have to be a ridiculous hollow celebrity. Like you, you know, you could be a TikTok or like, whatever soundcloud youtube kind of artist who has this like outsized popularity that that whole world i don't understand i don't come from it i'm too old to learn it <laughs> too old to succeed in it i don't understand it either yeah. but you know clearly it exists right and you see these these bands you've never heard of with like 70 million views and i don't know if that's a payola thing or you know they've got some saudi prince just buying up hits or what the fuck is going on but the other side of that is like bands who tour, touring is the, is the only sure revenue stream, I think. Like royalties, who knows right now? It's all up in the air. And licensing seems to be a huge thing, which I don't fully understand. Um, I think a lot of bands are making money kind of working with their catalog in terms of publishing rights. But yeah, to me, the name of the game is like being able to play live. If you can do that and kind of, you know, maintain interest with an audience then um that's like a working musician gig it's, it's still at least for us for now is is available we're lucky you know we have a back we have enough of a kind of profile to, to keep doing it well and that leads me to kind of a question like you know looking at something like a, a spotify um is is something like spotify actually good for you know a band like jawbreaker uh that didn't you know that that gets to live a, a new life now even if you guys weren't getting back together and touring i don't i don't think we're affected by it much okay i mean i don't think we benefit from it particularly all right great so you just confirmed my already feeling that spotify is evil so thank you <laughs> i mean it's for the you know it's for the <laughs> it's for the new people yeah However, I think there's a lot of very like um, savvy folks working those algorithms and, and things. And 100%. That, that's not us. But it's nice that my, you know, my dad can dial us up. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, one of my favorite parts in the movie is uh, Steve Albini just, just kind of just cracks me up in general. I'm like in the, the podcast that I've listened to and in the interviews that I've, that I've seen him. Um, uh, the, the, the two records back to back with Steve and then and then Rob Cavalla for uh, for Do You. What was it like working with the two of them back to back? Because they seem to be wildly different. And their aesthetic seems to be different too. They are wildly different for sure. But they're both very serious about guitars and um, and recording. I will say they they do share like you know a knowledge of microphones and compression and all the those things those elements of the studio that like take a portrait of a band playing um rob obviously is kind of comes from a bigger rock and roll back uh background 
and and Steve is you know just a master engineer, um, and really you can hear it. I mean, he's like a room kind of you know drum and bass heavy, um, and and works quickly at that point at least. And we were all you know we were a pretty tight budget too. Mm-hmm. So and and totally intimidated by him at the same time. Because it was fucking Steve Albini, right? Like we were big black fans and fans of most of the records he'd recorded, you know, huge naked ray gun fans. And like those people were kind of around the house when we were there. When we showed up to start recording, Jesus Lizard was practicing in the room we were going to move into to put our gear in. So like the door opened, there was just a seething, you know, din coming out of there and it was them. It's like kind of awing, right? Yeah, no, that that's that's crazy. I've been going through like my big Steve Albini phase in the past few weeks leading up to this interview. So I listen to a lot of shellac and a lot of big black and naked ray gun and been playing it for my cat, see if she's been into it. It's those records hold up. He's yeah. it's I would be freaked out too. <laughs> I liked your tweet. It was something like uh are they overrated, underrated, or rated just right? <laughs> Yeah. What's your verdict, Steve Albini? Oh, so, he's, are they are they rated correctly, George? Underrated, absolutely underrated. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I mean, look at the contribution; it's massive. You know, massive like archivist, recordist made all these records possible. I saw Shellac uh, last year in in Barcelona because we played a festival. We played Primavera, and they were one of the bands. And um, I'd never seen them live before. It was and it was great. It was such a fun show. And they are like, I guess, darlings of Barcelona. <laughs> I didn't realize. <laughs> but like Barcelona <laughs> loves shellac. Uh, so there was a massive, like the crowd was the same size as Nas. Which was That's also, an incredible, awesome. <laughs> also an incredible set. Like Nas and shellac, uh, pretty much back to back. I was I was really having a good time. You just you just like you just said my the, what would be the greatest day of my life just to have the two artists back to back. Yeah, I just got terraform. It was awesome. The, the, the records are incredible. I just got terraform on vinyl uh, about about a week and a half ago. This, this that record's incredible. Yeah, that's my don't don't we deserve that's my jam, dude. Yeah, man, I'm Canada. <laughs> <laughs> that song is so good. Um, uh, we don't want to take up too much of your time. And of course we eventually when we get to the game, but the, one of the last things I want to ask you, is there going to be a new jawbreaker record? Well, that's the plan. Like we're, we definitely don't want to be a revival, you know, a, uh, what do you call it? Not a revival, a, a reunion band. You don't wanna, yeah. You don't want to be like the Eagles. We don't want to be a catalog, but I wouldn't mind <laughs> being like the Eagles and that they're like one of the most overpaid bands in U S history. Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the only way that you you should be like them. <laughs> Did you? But I mean, like, uh, what I mean is, like, uh, I saw Steve Miller in concert a few years ago, and Steve Miller played the nine songs that you wanted to hear. Granted, it was a great show, but of course, you don't want to be like that. Is what you're getting at, correct? We just—it's not uh, in our makeup because we get bored, and you know, playing the same songs over and over again was kind of what stopped us in the first place. Like, we always fed on new material. So yes, we are. We are applying ourselves to creating a new record it's it's hard like it's hard to remember how to even write from every time i mean i i'm with jeff tweedy on this or kind of what i've heard like every time you write a song it's you're a new songwriter and you're starting for the first time and i think that's healthy like it's a good way to approach art but it's also um really challenging 
like I'm not a singer, but I but I know when I sing well. And every time I pick up a guitar and, and put my voice to it, I'm like, how do I sing? How do like how do you? It's such a weird thing to do with your body, you know? Yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a leap. Like it's for me, it's a huge leap of out into the the world of of people can hear your thoughts. Uh, so th- that part is the vocals I think are the most challenging. We got a lot of jams, but me getting in there and like really trying to create some vocal, uh, melody and, and message is that's the last piece that we're looking right. for. So I've known you for, I guess going on like a, as long as I've worked at the double Windsor where, where, where we know each other, I do want to like end with this quick story before we get, get into our game. Um, uh, so when I first started working, you and I worked the thir- you worked the Thursday day bar shift and I worked the Thursday night, uh, bar back and shift. So we'd come in and my roommate who at the time, shout out to Shinoa Estrada, my, my old roommate was a huge fan of Jawbreaker. So when I first started working there, she goes, is like, do you know who works at the double Windsor? And I was like, yeah, me, I work there. <laughs> I just told you I work there. And she goes, uh, she's like, you know, Blake works there. I was like, yeah, yeah, Blake, he's the, that's the guy who works at Thursday Day Ship. He's oddly enough a uh, adjunct, uh, adjunct English professor at, at, at Hunter. And she goes, uh, he's also the lead singer at Jawbreaker. He's like, I don't think we're talking about the same guy. She's like, yes, we're talking about the same guy. <laughs> so I've always thought, I was, I've always wanted to share that story with you. She's like, yes, no, I'm, we're talking about the same dude. It's the same guy, English professor at, um, <laughs> at Hunter. You did this one other job. And the reason why we're starting this game is like you were, you reviewed video games. I did. What ex- very brief, brief tenure. <laughs> How did you get into that, and what was that like? Uh, well, one of my best friends, still, and my neighbor in Brooklyn, actually, uh, was an editor at GameSpot, which was, if you may know it, pretty. I mean, still is, I guess, a pretty important gaming uh, magazine back in the day, and now a site for game content reviews, mm-hmm. etc. And he knew I needed work when I'd moved out to New York and kind of threw me a bone and said, um, you know, do you want to try reviewing some games? So that, that's how it happened. And then I was just assigned kind of randomly, probably like games fit for a new reviewer. Um, I think I only reviewed like three or four titles, which I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna lead in that. So here are our podcast, our Know Your Roles. We like to play a little game with our guests and uh, I emailed you about the game that we're going to play with you. And what we decided is we're going to each create a three piece rock band based on video game characters. Cause I thought that'd be kind of a funny way to sort of the, the end this, uh, this, this conversation. So uh, I'm going to start and then we'll Blake, we'll have you go second. So like on drums in my three piece rock band, I'm going to have the pilot from asteroids. I just think that'd be just <laughs> like, it doesn't mean anything. He's not a guy to do to my nose. It's kind of like spinal tap. It's like they're interchangeable. It's like uh, the pilot from Asteroids would be kind of a fun drummer in my three people. Like the, get the guy in the little the, triangle. The, in the guy middle. in the triangle, yes. <laughs> the actual guy in the plane. <laughs> yeah, just that guy. Nobody knows who that is. It's like we just know that he would be a great drummer. He's all over the place. You got to learn how to like uh, like do all kinds of things. So in your three-piece rock band, Blake, based on video game characters, who is your drummer? Okay. Jesus, man. I didn't think that. I didn't think the South that much. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know many of the n- names, but I do, I am a gamer okay. now. 
and I do, I play PS4 games and, um, my favorite games of the last couple of years, I'm kind of a first person shooter, uh, independent campaign. You know, I don't, I don't network or anything. I just do all my killing. I do my killing alone. Right. <laughs> so like far right Cry five is one of my, I think the best game of the last couple of years. Um, I'm going to shout it out, man, because okay. nobody talks about it. And it's like, seriously, one of the funniest games out there. You're taking out a cult in Montana. It also seems incredibly apt, right? <laughs> yeah. Now. Like it's, it's, it's a great game. It's really well realized. Uh, but let me, let me go. F- okay. For the drummer, I think one of the mech warriors from Titanfall too. big mech, you know? Okay. Yeah, kind of a Bonham nice. kick drum scenario is what I'm imagining. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave, who plays drums in your three-piece rock band based on video game characters? Uh, I was thinking like kind of similarly, I want just like a big old Cretan who's like a wild man and is just going to like go to town. So that's why my drummer is going to be Bowser from Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> Whoa. The uh, turtle, whatever koopa whatever the heck those things are yeah i just want him to rail on the on the drums (laughs) all right so moving right along he's like get to meet again is like so uh we're we're doing a bass player our chris and our our uh, three-piece rock band based on animated characters or based on like uh, video game characters and my number my bass player is going to be it's going to be king kong we're going to be all over the place i've got my drummer who's wild i've got my my bass player who is nuts so we're just going to have a good time. So we're just, it's all over the place with these guys. So King Kong is my. Donkey Kong, you mean. Okay. Donkey Kong, I'm sorry. Don- <laughs> I, I, keep, I keep wanting to say King of Kong whenever I was like, don't say King of Kong. Don't say, and of course, whenever you say not to say something, immediately <laughs> comes out of your fucking mouth. Donkey Kong I got you. Is, is my bass player. Right. So Blake, who's your bass player in your band? Uh, okay, now I'm, fa- I'm going with your line a little bit back to the arcade era. Because that, that's really when I came of age as a gamer. I'm gonna go with Ken O from Shinobi. That's the nice. stealth warrior. <laughs> so like, you know what I mean? Kind of a low, like an understated, you know, bass player. Like you, you can't, you don't know what kind of magic they're weaving in the track. And I think Ken O is kind of an assassin that way. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, It's funny. I was thinking about it, you know, somewhat similarly as far as like I wanted somebody who's like a steady Eddie who's always on time. They don't say much, but there might be something behind the surface. That's why my bass player would be Clyde, one of the ghosts from (laughs) Pac-Man. Whoa. They they, if you didn't know, which I didn't know till yesterday, there are four of them and they all have names. And uh, I chose the one the only name that doesn't rhyme which there it's a uh, inky blinky pinky and Clyde. <laughs> so uh, yeah, my bass player is Clyde, a ghost from Pac-Man. Nice. All right. Just to round it out. So we're doing our lead singer and I wanted to go with a female lead singer and being from DC, I got to shout out Mary Timoney. So like, I'm going to, I want a female, I want to like a strong female just so wear it out. So Miss Pac-Man is going to be my lead singer in my three piece, <laughs> my three piece uh, rock band. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like who's your who's your lead singer can i choose lady footlocker <laughs> sure <laughs> i feel like she would you know like a lady sovereign kind of thing would, it, would have some like 
some wild energy to bring to the forefront. All right, right on. I don't know. I'm kind of riding your riding your tail right now. <laughs> hey, man, it was like we could be on the same bill. It's like we'll have your animated band and your video I mean, game band, and my video game band, play back this, and back. Yeah, lady. Yeah, this is extremely important. So you know, <laughs> I wouldn't uh, feel don't feel any kind of way about writing our our coattails. We just uh, you know we have a lot of time on our hands. So all right. Um, my lead singer is somebody that. I wanted to be an edgy and dark front man with, uh, you know, maybe some shit in his past that he can draw from. And so that's why my lead singer is Max Payne. <laughs> you want to talk about first person shooters. Uh, and uh, Mark Wahlberg played him in the movie. So, you know, how bad could it be? He, he could lead. He can lead. <laughs> well, Blake, you've been more than generous with, with, with your time today. Uh, we definitely appreciate you coming on, talking about the movie, talking about Jawbreaker. And then talking about, I guess, just like all the things that you wanted to get into. Before we sure. let you go, plug something for us real quick. Oh, you want? You mean anything I can plug? If if you want to, I mean, you don't have to. <laughs> any, any, if you want to, anything you want to plug. I don't really have any irons in the fire at the moment, you know. Um, anything you want to plug for like society? We'll take that too. Yeah, actually, I'll tell you my one of my favorite kind of. Uh, respites amidst the pandemic is um, a YouTube channel called Animal Logic. It's all one word, Animal O G I C, Animal Logic, and it's a uh, Canadian um, naturalist, Denise Duf- Dufo, I think, who's an illustrator, and she does these incredible, like eight to ten minute profiles of animals of the world, and. Uh, I would just encourage your listeners to check out her channel because it's I've learned like about a lot of the cats of South America and like it's just great. She's very charismatic. The, re- the science is solid, and you get to see beautiful, you know, wildlife uh, in in action. Yeah, you know, for, for yeah. somebody who didn't have anything to plug, that was quite the fucking plug. Nice job. <laughs> I can't wait to watch that. <laughs> right, moment of zen, you know. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds like tonight's meditation. There you go. Well, Blake, we did it. Thank you again for coming on the show. Yes, thank uh, you so much. We really appreciate it. Of course, guys. It was a pleasure. I had fun. All right, man. And uh, we'll see you around the neighborhood. I'll see you at the, the D-Dub. See you at the D-Dub. Okay. Bye. All right, bud. Later. Bye. Cool. All right. So there you have it. Blake Schwarzenbach. Um, that was a. Yeah, it was a good time. I like the fact that he was game. There was like a. It's, it's always a great cast when uh, he was game, and he was 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 a fun hang, as I like to say. So, Blake, thank you, Blake, for coming on the show and being being as fun. Like I knew you would be. Totally, and really, and really cool that he's like you know game to talk about stuff and and uh, just a really cool chill dude because like you know I I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't like a, a devoted fan when I, when I was a teenager, when they were popular, but I know a lot of people who were, and like, they really meant a lot to a lot of people. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit, but like their influence is like, I hear it all the time. You know, I hear bands, new bands that I'm like, Oh, they have, it sounds like jawbreaker. Or, you know. Yeah. That was one question that, that, that like, uh, I didn't get to It's like, as far as my notes go was like, what are the band, what bands do you like that have been influenced by you? Because of course there's bands out there that are probably, that he's probably like, yeah, whatever. But like, what bands are you like? Wow. It's like, I, 
that you like. And that's one of my favorite parts of the movie is at the end when you see like so many different people playing, uh, whether it's, I think it's uh, Beach Fossils and uh, Lucero, shout out to Lucero. I knew those guys in uh, college and post-college. They're from Memphis. And then uh, the little girl singing, uh, fuck. Accident prone? I can't is remember. Accident- yes, she's singing, she's singing accident prone at the end. So like, uh, that's, that's one of my favorite parts of the, of the movie. Um, uh, anyway, so uh, shout out to Blake for, for being a good sport and coming on the show. Dave, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Um, uh, no, um, uh, the, uh, sorry, the, the reason why I want to switch gears for just a second is that my phone is losing its fucking mind right now Uh-oh. because it appears that James Harden oh has been trading God. traded to the New Jersey or to the Brooklyn Nets. So right. like, uh, so, well, this is really, we're already going to be, well, this is going to come out in a couple of days and we'll just like Dave and I will talk about this. Look. But just as of right now, as of like two seconds ago, James Harden uh, has been traded to the, the Brooklyn Nets. Unfortunately, that's not what I'm looking forward to this weekend, but it, I guess it is now, but the, uh, <laughs> well, that's so insane. And let me, let me, I, I want to just take one second because I want to, let's maybe cut that out. Like, will you ask me? Because like James Harden was on. So ask me what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> Dave, what are you looking forward to? Well, I am looking forward to th- these various crazy situations in the NBA. Like one of them being James Harden, which you just said, uh, which you just said, like there's at least some kind of finality. So he was traded to the Nets. Like for who? Do we know no, for it's- who? It's, because it's, as of right now, there's like a. It doesn't seem. Uh, as, I mean, he so, went he went nuclear uh, at, at practice. I was kind of hoping. Well, that's what of, I was like. Gonna, I texted. I was kind of hoping that John Wall. My God, shout out John Wall. John Wall went to his house and tried to beat his ass. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I want. Like, that's what we should talk about. Because, like, yeah, he like straight up went into the locker room and said, "Y'all suck. You're not good enough." And like. I don't want to talk about, I'm not going to judge anyone. Like he's not in basketball shape. You know what I mean? Like he's not, he's playing really well, but like, he doesn't look like a guy who's totally like that caring. Like he's not, he's not going to, he's not like working that hard for his teammates. You know what I mean? Like he's a great player, but like he hasn't won anything. He hasn't led anybody to a championship. And like for him to, to go into the locker room and be like, all you guys suck and you can't, you you're not good enough to to play with me like i mean jordan you know jordan did the same bullshit in in the late 80s uh with that cocaine team um you know that they don't talk about that much they've referenced it a little bit in in uh in the last dance of him you know being like constantly calling all them out being like y'all suck but like i don't know man like do you i guess i'll phrase it as a question like if you're a GM, I mean, obviously the Nets just did it. They did. They they made the move, but we don't know exactly what they gave up. Do you want James Harden? Well, team? I mean, like the one thing that because he's so gifted. The one thing that they have going for it, it really depends on what they traded him for, which I'm assuming like was probably uh, pick swaps and number ones. I mean, the Hall was probably Lavert, right? Like, and I bet you probably Karis Lavert uh, pick swaps. Uh, I wouldn't be Jared surprised Allen. Jared Allen. I wouldn't be surprised Jared Allen's in there. Uh, and um, Brooklyn's probably number one. They just mortgaged, their, their, I guess, the rest of the future because everybody knew that like what Houston wanted for him was going to be a shitload. 
The uh, I think they probably Houston probably so wanted to get him out of town that they probably didn't take as much as they were just probably like fuck it. It was like he was like you know what just fuck it. Which is like we'll, we'll take force their hand. Yeah, it was like we'll just take whatever because I mean it had to. He had to go nuclear. The but the everybody knew with the with the holiday deal what the going rate would have been for him. It would have just been more than that. And I don't think Houston probably got as much as what what Milwaukee got for holiday. That's just what I'm thinking. It's like as of right now, we don't know what uh what the, so, the what the market was set with the with the with the holiday deal. So I'll ask you this. A team like a team with Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, is that is that a great team? Is that the best team in the league? Like regardless of who the who the uh you know players they put around them? They've in essence, are going to say we're going to roll out seven dudes uh, uh, for the playoffs. I mean, James Harden is like he's not. You can you can talk that shit to a bunch of those dudes who have never won anything, but you can't really talk that shit to the Kyrie and uh, exactly and Durant because they've got titles, they've got MVPs, exactly or series MVPs. So like, I just think it's like. Yeah, I just think it's like it's gonna be. It's like you you are what you are, and like it'd be different if like James Harden was like twenty two, he's thirty one. So you've you've already gotten like twelve years of like a eleven years of like basketball that's played in one way. Um, uh, do you have it in you to sort of take a backseat? Because one of those guys got to take a backseat. Well, and that's my next question for you. Like, who takes the last shot? Durantas. I agree with you. But like, <laughs> is that? I agree with you one hundred percent. Like from a Basketball, and if Durant is double teamed, you you give it to Kyrie, and Kyrie throws it back to fucking Durant. <laughs> I I I agree with I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, he, like Kyrie, I would be more apt to to have Kyrie take the last shot than I would James Harden. You know what I mean? Because Kyrie has legitimately hit game winning shots, and he's won a championship, and he's hit mm-hmm. winning shots in a championship. So, like, you can't ever take that away and also like Harden doesn't have anything like that because he's literally never done anything in the playoffs and yeah i yeah, love that I narrative just, of coming out of boston that was like curry there's like the, the boston is better without curry it was like when he wasn't playing it was like no they're not no they're not because <laughs> it's, it's like there's a dude who's like who's clearly a winner who's like it's just they're different they're not better yeah so it was like we'll see yeah well and does this change his status you know what i mean because he's we don't even know what his status is right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't, he's uh, he's been AWOL, I guess. It's like I wonder if he was uh, he's involved in the trade. I doubt it. Oh, I can't imagine he would be. But but uh, he probably he must have a no trade as well. But but uh, um, yeah, I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah, well, he was away from the team for undisclosed reasons, and then there were the pictures that the video that surfaced on the internet of him, like at a family gathering with no mask on. And now they're saying that like, it's going to be up to the league when he comes back. Cause they're like doing an investigation and like, I don't know, man, the whole thing is like, but, but anyway, um, I'm sure a lot of Nets fans are like super geeked right now. Uh, and it's crazy. I mean, it's going to be, that's crazy. James Harden, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. We're, we'll see. We'll see how it works out. Yeah, no, it was like a, it's like it's literally like they're still updating this thing. It's like it literally was all right. The Rockets will receive Brooklyn's unprotected first round picks in 2022, 2024, and 2026. 
as well as the Cavaliers' 2022 first-round pick. Uh, Houston also has the right to for pick swaps, which is what we thought for with Brooklyn in 2021, 2023, 2025, 2027. Houston has also required guards Karis LeVert, Dante Exum, uh, Rodney Corvex. LeVert was uh, was then sent to Indiana to pack. LeVert was then sent to Indiana to pack as that centered around Pacers forward Oladipo. Whoa! This thing has got fucking moving parts all over the place. Whoa, so it's huge. Yeah, they... Wow, that's... that's Brooklyn center so Jared wait, Allen so... and forward Torian Prince. Wow, they gave up. Oh, my God. We'll also report their head to Cleveland in Wednesday's blockbuster trade. All right, so Brooklyn's acquiring James Harden in a three-way deal with Cleveland. Karis Avert, Dante Exum, uh, Couric's four first-round picks, including Cavs 2022 first via Bucks and four Nets pick swaps the Rockets, Jared Allen, Torian Prince to Cleveland. That's the trade. Wait, so where is Oladipo going? Uh, looks like Oladipo's going there. Uh, this is the second part of it. The Rockets are acquiring Karis LeVert uh, in the James Harden deal from Brooklyn and sending LeVert to Indiana to acquire two-time All-Star Victor Oladipo. So Oladipo's going to Houston. Wow. Wow. In addition to the four first-round wow. picks. This just this is actually – I don't even know if like, like uh, my brain can comprehend. like Because uh, trades like this don't happen that often. This is fucking ridiculous. It is. It's a. It's crazy. You know. I. I mean, we'll we'll see how all this plays out, and I need to see it like on a screen just to see like where everybody went. But my initial. Yeah, we need that guy from the uh, the election. The fuck is his name? My, Steve yeah, Cornacki. Uh, uh, Cornacki. Cornacki. We um, need that guy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that guy is like fucking celebrity now. It's ridiculous. But uh, anyway, he, he um, khaki pants and Skechers cool again. That guy was. That guy became huge. <laughs> Um, but, uh, my initial reaction is like Indiana, dude, like that's like they trade. So they basically swapped Oladipo for Karis Levert. And I love that Indiana team. And I like Oladipo a lot. And I hope that he can come back to what he was before the injury. Um, what he had like achieved, you know, because he, he like was one of those guys that was, supposed to be the guy and then was was labeled a bust and then resurrected himself uh and then got hurt and i hope that he can regain that form because he was truly awesome and uh seems like a really awesome dude and that's great but like that indiana team now slotting in karis lover like that's a good that's a really good squad that's a really good squad brogdon they're good lover they're good, but not because of because like they're. I think they're they're starting to realize in the, the coaching bonus. staff to realize it's like is is the, the the game goes through Sabonis because Sabonis Absolutely. is like with the touch and like the ability to pass and like guys moving and Karis Levert is a is a is a ball player that is able to create off ball, yes. which is why that, then it, was, it seems going to be tough out. Plus, I and love he can their play coach. Tough defense a, too. Yeah, he's like I love their coach. He's a Nick Nurse disciple, so he's like it's like all about just. It's like just and, being creative on defense. Every once in a while, you'll see them do like a box and one into a man to man. They're 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 going to be a tough tough out. And Karis Avert seems like he's a uh, doesn't want to play. Uh, doesn't want to be a backup. And wants to be a that's starter. So. Good defense and like you know that's the thing that team they figured out there were, a couple of years ago. The talk was mostly that Sabonis Sabonis had eclipsed Miles Turner as far as like blue chip prospects and that 
like they can't have both of them and Sabonis is the guy. But they found a way to Yeah, I'm always I'm surprised that Miles Turner hasn't been traded yet. They found a way to use both of them though. Yeah. They found a way to find to, to like morph Miles Turner into like an effective five, basically, who he he ha- like he can still clog the lane and block shots, but like Oh Miles Turner had twenty points last night. He's yeah, he's awesome. I I uh I th- I think that team is great. And I think like that to me, like you know, even more than like James Harden changing, like to me, that's the part of the deal that I'm like, whoa, a team in Indiana, like they're gonna be they're re- they're gonna be really good. They're gonna yeah, be really good. The uh is the East is 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 interesting, but the, the thing that this get me is just like I'm like looking at the picks. Apparently this year's draft, the next year's draft is supposed to be really good, but it's the pick swaps and the amount of picks that they got, it's just like it's like holy shit. But in a way, they had to sort of do something because you can't have that in your in your in your in, in your locker room. The because James Harden basically went complete nuclear last night. So no, I mean he made it clear that he wasn't. It, yeah, it, he's made it clear the whole time that he wasn't interested in in anything. You know, with them, which it's whatever. We're we have said this before. We are all about player empowerment. We're in a player empowerment era, and they, these guys should be able to decide where they want to go. Um, you know, where I, one final question before, uh, before I get into what I'm looking forward to is, um, the strip clubs in Houston, do they take the James Harden Jersey down? Because it's like NCAA when like, when the team like years later, it's like that they were paying players. It's like, they eventually lose the banner. Like that happened to my alma mater, uh, the, the national championship game. They actually took down our banner when it's found out that Derek Rose may or may not have, which is never proved may or may not have like taken his, his ACT test. So the NCAA was just like, what you taking out? I was like, did the strip clubs in Houston, did they take down the James Harden jersey? Because that's no. it, it, it's, it's retired. It was like, I just want to know. I hope not, because his strip club prowess shouldn't be uh, – like that's that legacy remains intact. <laughs> also, are the strip clubs – Houston is probably top three strip club cities in America. I mean, it's like it's basically Houston, Vegas, Tampa – and it depends on how, how you feel. Somewhere in Florida, I was going to say Florida. Tampa, Tampa, and Portland are basically like neck and neck. Or like Orlando. Uh, or, or, Orlando is weird, but like Tampa is like Tampa's Tampa gets like <laughs> down. Uh, Jacksonville is like in in the in the running. Shout out to my cousin who's a who's a bottle girl at a at a at a, a strip club in Jacksonville. I'm just saying it's like uh, Brooklyn. Do we have? There's we got a strip clubs in Sunset Park, but we're no. It's like it's weird, but it was like I'm just saying it's like a, it's, these are sort of things. It's like you got to. If you're James Harden, you got to be paying attention to. It's like if I get traded, what is the strip club scene like? Do is like because some of our strip clubs in Brooklyn are a little weird. They're a little weird, like the one out in Waynesboro. I can't remember. It was like the strippers are away from the like the actual pumps. bar. Yeah, pumps. So I'm just yeah. saying it's like uh, it's like but, I guess we got to step up our strip club game. Hayden's uh, place has got to reopen. But imagine going there at like the CD one in Sunset Park, where it's like you know 15, place. fifteen people in there. But one of them, is James, one Harden. Of them is James Harden. <laughs> like, imagine, like, when, like, next year, when you call me and you'd be like, "We're going to Payne's place at two in the morning," and like, we show up there and James Harden. Is James there. Harden, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's awesome. I mean, like, because like, you, you definitely pr- protect your anonymity when you go to a strip club in Sunset Park. The cool thing is, is like, I can walk home from there. So, <laughs> yeah, so can I. It's like, it's like when when we get when we get a vaccine, we'll get it. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll definitely like. See where strip clubs James Harden's going to do. Um, 
James Harden, uh, know your roles pod will we'll be here when you're ready to get to, when we're ready to take you out there. Um, uh, what uh, what are you looking forward to, George? Um, uh, real quickly, I watched the very first episode of the two part series on HBO Max. Um, episode, which I wish it was the series is longer, but episode two of the Tiger Woods documentary uh, airs on Sunday. It has been incredible. Um, uh, the, uh, I forgot like how much, well, I guess not really forgot. I guess it just, it was just like, I guess really didn't pay attention because like in real time, you're like, wow, this guy, this guy's really good. But it, the, the thing is like, they've, they've been showing, cause this is like right now in the rise of Tiger Woods, we're in the, we're, we're, we're going to see him. I forgot that back in the day, like in the late nineties and two thousands, he was beating the dog shit out of those dudes. Like it wasn't even. Like the Masters win is like is was like I guess when he just came in that that Sunday and just 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 destroyed everyone. But there's a couple other wins that are like he's like ten under, and the next closest like golfer is like two over with like with like two holes left. He's just and he's like twenty two at this point. He's just beating the dog shit. Wasn't he winning pro tournaments as like an amateur? Yeah, well, that well, I mean, he won as like a kid. Uh, I, I mean, like he won. He was like he he won like the amateur title like two years in a row or something like that. But when he was playing with like pros, when he finally like like left Stanford and went to the the, the play like uh, as a as an actual pro, like he won those four straight uh, like majors in a row. He wasn't just winning them; he was beating them senseless to the point where like he almost had like this weird kind of like Jordan effect of like he not only was he beating you like physically, he was mentally beating you as well. And like dudes were dudes were just shook. Like there was this one uh, Phil Mickelson who was like I guess like three years older, but like had some of the same like uh, amateur records that Tiger did. The Tiger just destroyed, and they're playing against each other. And then Tiger busted out like a three wood and just like drove it past him. And uh, Phil was using a driver, so in essence he used a smaller club and drove it past this dude. And like Phil was like, he was like, uh, are, do you normally hit your three wood that far? He's like, no, I hit it further. Just fucking, just mentally, just destroyed Phil. And Phil was like, well, I didn't know what to do. with it was like, anyway. So like, it's been it's been illuminating and interesting because you get to find like some of the things that they sort of kind of keep away about his background and about his dad and the relationship with his dad and some of the things that he saw probably early on that probably children probably shouldn't see. That's sort of getting into it's a fascinating documentary and it's got one of the most amazing cliffhangers for like the, the episode two. So, so like the episode ends with the, with one of the women, one of the many women that like Tiger Woods was cheating on his wife with. And the way she ends it, she goes, oh, wait, who are we talking about again? And I was like, ah! <laughs> it's the same. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, now it is like, it's got past girlfriends on there and friends. And there's like Tiger is notoriously known. It's, it's based on the, the documentary is based on this book that came out a couple years ago, which I hear is incredible. So uh, if, if I remember and it'd be from now until the end, I'll shout it out. But there's this book that came out by Tiger Woods like, like a couple years ago. It's supposed to be awesome. And it's loosely based, it's not loosely, but it's based on that, those the, those those things. And, and in the book and that I've heard, and like they kind of get into the movie, is like you get into the circle of Tiger Woods, but the moment you're out, you're you're out. It's almost like they like uh when uh when Michael cuts out fucking Hagen and and uh, Godfather, is like uh it's like Michael, you're out. It's like uh so like they're he's 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 ruthless like that. It's like you're in the circle, like the letter that he wrote to like his ex girlfriend, who she she saved, she saved this, she saved this letter. Basically, it was like 
yeah, no, I, I this, this, I gotta, we, we, we can't do this anymore. Good to see you. Love Tiger. Blah, 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 blah. Not even love, but like, and he's, and he's like that with lots of people, but, but there's one anecdote that's in the, in the, in the movie. But yeah, Rachel, whose name I can't remember how to pronounce, you starts with a U. Anyway, you, 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 whatever. I'm being, I'm, I'm being funny. It's, I think it's Utical. But uh, sure. she's like, she, she ends this, the first episode. It's like, who are we talking about again? And I was like, oh, shit. She's talking about Tiger Woods. Anyway, episode two, it is fascinating. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's as good as OJ Men in America. Because there's a, there's, I don't think I do enough race stuff in the Tiger Woods stuff. I wish they'd done a little bit more. Also, I wish that they showed a little bit more of him just whooping people's ass on the on the golf course. And I would, yeah, I think the race stuff was like I wish they'd done it more. But I think that's been done to death. And you can always find that stuff. It's like you're really that interested in. But like the the people who were in the circle, who were talking about it, and talking about him, it's fucking dope. And now we're at the rise. We just hit the rise. He just married the Elon, and now we're about to find we're about to hit the fall, and then of course the redemption, just like a fucking VH1 behind the music. Anyway, the Tiger Woods doc is fucking awesome. So that's what I'm looking forward to this weekend. Awesome, I uh, I believe you. I definitely believe you yeah. that it's it's so good. I was like, holy shit, the story is insane. <laughs> I mean, anybody who had like that kind of larger than life uh, moment. I mean, also like he you, to your point. Man, could you imagine he like this man? He spent the last fifteen years being irrelevant, and or ten years. Like he, could you imagine? Like he was on a track to. He still is going to hold so many records and so many. He's gonna his place on the all time list is very high, but like he was on track to create he was on track to do like joe dimaggio level shit uh shit that like nobody would ever do again you know and then he just like you know it's a number of things injuries all of course all of the public fucking controversies that he had you know cheating on his wife with thousands upon thousands of women and like not you know the the, the doc is yeah. is epic there's one dude he's a part of the circle he like apologizes to Tiger, yeah, he was like he breaks like many walls. He's like, "Sorry, champ." I was like, "I was like, what the fuck is what? What, what are we watching? What's happening right now?" It's like, <laughs> so shout out that guy. He was like clearly distraught about like saying something about Tiger Woods. It's no, it's like a because so like this his fall. Ben, it's not OJ level. He didn't murder two people. Shout out. He did shout no, out, we, but like his fall is like. Epic. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah yeah oh yeah well the cults the cult of celebrity in this country like it goes both ways right it'll like put you up on the fucking you know and obviously like he deserved it because of his achievements but like you know they'll put you all the way up here and then fucking tear your ass apart as soon as you know as soon as it can like or a dui yeah tiger. <laughs> yeah well just you know i mean he it is what it is but like he He's just someone who, yeah, like the public, there was a very clear shift. There was a turn and all of a sudden he went from, you know, yeah, you, like you just said, his fall was rough, rough fall. Yeah, no, I can't, I can't wait for, for episode two. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. And then like, yeah, of course it's probably going to end with him winning the masters, which is, which is, 
which is awesome. So like, no, I, I his story is fascinating. Um, because he was, he's been famous since, or not, or has some sort of level of fame since he was probably two years old, three years old. And he was a on the known Mi- quantity. Yeah, he was like when he was on that uh, Mike Wallace with Jimmy Stewart and uh, and uh, Bob Hope hitting golf balls as a as a two year old. So like, no, his it's it's. I was watching it at one o'clock in the morning. I was like, I wish other people were watching this right now. I was fucking <laughs> tickled pink. It was, and I remember like epic battles of the Tiger Woods game that we had on PlayStation, which was like <laughs> yeah. massively huge at, at, at my house. Shout out, shout out, shout out Germantown, my house in, or well, Popper Pike and McVeigh. I guess that's Germantown. Anyway, not that big a deal. We won't spend a ton more time on this, but I'll ask you this. Was Tiger Woods an entry point to you for golf or were you already a golf fan? No, I mean, like, I think, I'm, I'm, uh, Saturdays was meant for drinking and, uh, Sundays is meant for like sitting on the couch, hungover, listening to the sweet nothings of Jim Nance and all those guys. I just love the way that talk. Um, uh, no, it was like, uh, I, I'll admit though, like when he was at his, when he was on his run, like when he was on the run, it was, it made, it definitely made Sundays way more interesting. Yeah. Cause like there was nobody else like that on the, on the tour. It was like, just, just like the, the, the cockiness and like, uh, the, the, how we get mad and like, and just like Intensive. golfers are, golfers are fucking boring. Yeah. He's actually boring too. To be quite honest, and all honestly, he's boring. The golfer's fucking boring. He actually made the sport interesting by being so different than everybody and by else. being so. expressive and aggressive and yeah, a hundred percent. Like, I mean, I was a kid and I would watch golf on TV with my dad who liked it. And I would not care until Sunday, which is the winning day, you know, but, and I, I was watching it before him, before tiger uh, emerged. But when he did, it definitely made, like, I never, it was for me, it was like, it was a me and my dad thing. You know what I mean? It wasn't necessarily like, I liked golf, but like I said, like I wasn't watching Thursday. I wasn't watching Friday or Saturday. Like I were only yeah. like, I could only, my tolerance for it was only so high, but but Tiger made it totally so much more exciting. Yeah, it, was, it he it transcended the sport. Yeah. The uh, it was it was always interesting when he was in the running because like if he was not in the running, it was like it wasn't unless you were like a super golf head, which I guess like whatever. But like when he like and when he was on his run, just beating the dog, it was compelling. I mean, the crowds that show there's these great aerial shots of the on the on the movie. And we need to wrap this up. There's great shots of the movie that you see of the crowds just following him, which clearly made him uncomfortable. It was like, but the day, it was awesome though. Like, look at that. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah. This one yeah. dude's beating the dog shot. And that was like never right. a thing before, you know, that that phenomenon of these fucking crazy crowds Not like that. at golf tournaments. Not like that. Because like Jack Huggleson went in the matches in like 83 as an old man. He's not doing the most popular show. No. On TV and he doesn't have day. the kind of. He's not. He's not. A, he's not. A, there is no. He's not a Donahue. Have, I guess we'll, nope. uh, yeah. <laughs> they don't have the same kind of appeal. You know what I mean? Like they don't. It's not. They're not. Yeah, he transcended the yeah. sport. It was. It was. It's fascinating. The documentary is the first hour and a half. It was like the first episode. I wish it was four hours long, or maybe like five hours, or like maybe like a knock it out for a few. Days. Anyway, it's incredible. Uh, so that's it for me. All right. Well, uh, yeah, that's another week of uh, know your roles. Yeah, this is exciting. It's it's weird to get news broken to you. It's like a at the at the same time you're recording a pod. It was like a, it was like <laughs> there was a, one of my favorite stories about music is like a, is hold on, I'm coming. It's like it was like it was like when it was being played in the background and I hear that beat. I'm like, whoa! It was like, what are you doing? 
was like, hold on, I'm coming. I'm like, I'm coming in there. I'm coming in there to leave that. I feel the same way about hearing that James Harden story. I was like, wait, wait, what, what, what? Oh shit! Like, yeah. We gotta stop everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's crazy. Well, like I said, it was like on my list anyway because of the shit that he did last night. Like, it's crazy, and also like the way that he, yeah, everything. I mean, everything. He is he's making himself a firebrand. You know what I mean? He's making himself the person at the center of of everything. You know, good and bad, which is like, okay, dude. Yeah. So James Harden, holler at us that you're going to be in Brooklyn. Uh, I've got some real estate you might want to look at. There's being a there's a building being built up the street. It's it's going to I think it's going to have some nice apartments. So what we're saying is uh, one one two three two one one two one five. You should move the park slope. Um, There's some movies (laughs) that you should watch that you would I think you might enjoy. They're directed by the same guy from Park Slope, Noah Baumbach. He's probably watched those movies. I'm just kidding. You cut all that shit out. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Could you imagine uh, fucking uh, James Harden watching like the Squid and the Whale? <laughs> it's short, so that would be great. There is a. We should we should invite him to watch that with us. Yeah, it's a short movie, so it's like only like an hour and a half, and like. It's like so, yeah. No, I, I I could totally imagine seeing him watching the Squid and the Whale. It's 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 again. It's like we're only asking like an hour and a half of your time, and then we go to a strip club at a safe distance. Yes, but well, yeah, like much later. Anyway, Dave, I think I think we killed it today. Well, uh, you that's good enough for me. <laughs> I uh, I do too. I uh, that was great. I uh, again, we want to thank Blank Blake Schwarzenbach for coming on. That was awesome. Yeah, uh, he spent some or or Blake Schwarzenbach. Is that what I said? <laughs> no, you said Blake. I was like, I was like, yeah. Blake. We want to say Blake. We want to thank Blake Schwarzenbach again for coming on. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that was great. I uh, I got nothing else. Just uh, start getting ready for another week of podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, as uh, as per each episode, my usual send off. Um, uh, also, that guy at the Verizon store, fucking go fuck yourself. Wear your mask over your fucking nose, you jerk off. I had to leave a place. I was like, I can't even with this guy. Jesus Christ. Everybody, <laughs> please be safe and healthy. And Yeah, yeah. He's like, fuck off, ride the store guy. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, for real. Jesus and Christ. Bruce Willis, too, while we're at it. Yeah, it's yeah. like, what the fuck, guy? Wear a fucking mask. Get out of your ass. Wear your fucking mask over your fucking nose. All right. Peace. You know the world of the rough stuff. You know the world of the rough stuff.